You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. Hello, Dirty Feet podcast listeners. We have two very interesting interviews for you today to make uh, one complete episode. The first is about Cirque Prom. We're going to be speaking with Kryn Hagland and uh, Adam Kukler with about the contemporary circus show Cirque Prom, followed by an interview with Kate Holden, the performer and uh, original commissioner of the work Wood, choreographed by Melanie Demers. Uh, both these shows are going to be presented in Montreal in uh, the next few days, so we're going to be talking about them. Also, a quick reminder, you can check out Dirty Feet on uh, Facebook. We have our own page and uh, on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. Um, these are great ways to learn about different things that are happening all over the country in the dance world. Uh, tweet at us, Facebook at us if there's something interesting that you think that we should know about and that we should pass along to the rest of our listeners. And join us on our online community. Hilarious, nostalgic, impressive, and creative, Cirque Prom premiered at the 2014 St. Amboise Montreal Fringe Festival in the Petit Campus venue. This April, the show will fill the space of the Bay Mathieu, a former indoor pool and current performance space. Then they are off to present at the Augustine Gym in uh, Vermont. Uh, the scope of the production and the cast has both grown. The artistic director and co-founder of The Radiant, or Le Radiant, uh, Kin Hegland joins us to talk about the show. She's also joined by Adam Kukler from New York City, who is one of the performers in the show. He's a as a clowning artist and also a juggler. He's worked for for plenty of different companies, including uh, Set Doigt de la Main, which you may recognize here in Montreal. And uh, thank you both for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. So, Kryn, uh, just back it up a bit. You established The Radiant in 2012 That's along correct. with uh, Alison Funk. That's correct. Super, okay. So the whole idea was to celebrate your unique personality and storytelling abilities within the context of this contemporary, arc, uh, contemporary circus form that you practice. I'm wondering what was the inspiration for you to form this group rather than join another or continue working in circus for, for other creators? And I think that it was that I was kind of um, antsy and a little bit impatient. I had, I had been working as an interpret. I'd been working in other people's shows pretty much since I, for about 12, 10, 10, 12 years. So I'd been in Montreal for 10 years working with, first I came with Cirque Alloise and then with um, the Cirque du Soleil and the Seven Fingers, Le Setois de la Main. And I think that um, I had a, you know, just having been on the road and having been on the road with really good shows, um, it was such a great and humbling experience. And then I just started to get a lot of ideas of things that I wanted to try. And I realized that m all of my ideas didn't fit in anybody else's show. Um, I knew that I kind of knew the way of getting, you know, I knew that you could how to make a character and how to do an act in someone else's show. But um, I just started to get really eager to make my own work. And um, I think so I created The Radiant with Allison to work on that area between clown, character and circus. So that the, really the character infused side of circus, as opposed to, say, like the more modern dance side of circus. Um, and uh, 
and but I had been an interpret, and I still am an interpreter of other people's. I still, you know, sometimes do shows um, of other people's work, and it's kind of it's nice. It's a lot less work. So there's a lot of, um, I guess it was maybe a desire to 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 put fire on your on your creative side and kind of let that loose. But how did uh, how did the two of your collaboration start? Have you guys worked together beforehand? Yeah. So Allison was the director of my solo show, The Rendezvous. Um, which actually two years ago I debuted at the the Montreal Fringe. Um, And so that's how we started to work, just just building numbers. And I started to work with her really as an outside eye, as just a better Mm -hmm. maker. And so I would come with with work and I would um, and Allison would um, help me with structure and critique and just really help me understand what I was presenting um, I think I spent a long time just building acts without getting enough feedback on them and and so we started to develop a really good relationship and then um, realized that we had a similar vision hmm. so as we were saying in 2014 was the the premiere of Cirque Prom and at that point in time actually we had uh, two of your performers on the show to to talk about it a little bit so Olivia and Corey came on to represent Cirque Prom at that point in time Um, so also we got the opportunity to see it which was great and uh, so having seen the show uh, you realize that you've created a context for for this collection of uh, circus and clown artists with within which to play so you kind of engage these people to come on and, and with this theme kind of present present the best of themselves. Um, How important is it to you to stay true to a theme when you put together a show, especially now that you're working under your own own, uh, drive? How does it influence who you work with? um, Or do you allow your thematic to be tailored to the artists available and their talents that they bring to the table? Hmm. Um, With this one, I was really, I wanted to play with the the concept of of a prom, but I tend to be attracted to um, artists that have something like a really unique spark about them I sometimes think about my the people I like to work with like unicorns I really like to work with people who present something really different on stage that we don't see all the time and you it doesn't actually have to do with what you look like it's really how you share what you've got um whatever that is like whatever your skills are um I'm a really firm believer and it's it's you know with when you're watching people work to the limits, like in terms of circus especially, but also in terms of clowning, but when you're watching people work to the limits of their ability, no matter what that ability is, if, the, if that is done very well and with, a, with like genuine connection and heart and humility, um, it's always going to be really interesting to watch. And so I'm really, I like people who, um, even if they're doing something totally goofy or totally ridiculous, they just... They give themselves fully um, in a very generous way to the audience. So with this project, I stayed, I knew for the theme, but I tended to just pick people that had that spark and that really great presence. I needed people who could um, kind of cross between the worlds of character and clown and also had circus acts, um, just, you know, a, a technical background in circus. So I needed people who had... Um, who could really seamlessly kind of go between character and just doing acrobatic tricks for this project. <laughs> and so, Adam, how did you become engaged in this project? Uh, I had worked with Kryn with the, with the Seven Fingers. We did a show together a few times. Um, so we knew each other from that. We're actually both from Wisconsin in the United States, so there's, there's that little connection too. But, um, yeah, so she had Cirque Prom, and she asked me to do it, and I said, yes, that's how I got it. <laughs> I'm really, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, we, have, we understand each other really well coming from the same place. Also, 
she has the clown background and the circus background, so we have a lot of the same vocabulary and the same, uh, you know, she talks of structure, and, and I would talk of structure as well. Like, you set yourself up, and, with, and you can still play within that structure. It's, uh, it's not so exactly stri- scripted, and it's not totally improvised either. It's kind of in the middle. Just with what you were saying before we started recording, it sounds like there's a parallel as well between your 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 loves of clowning and kind of of um, I don't know. You alluded to juggling as as the way to pay the bills, but <laughs> but clowning is the passion. A yeah, little bit. clowning is just fun. You just get to be yourself and do. You don't have to. Uh, you don't judge yourself. You just you just do the things. You move how you feel like moving and and. Uh, yeah, you just don't judge yourself, and then people end up liking it. Usually, is it undervalued in the circus industry? The the whole that whole side of things is in that- the circus industry. In some ways, I would say that it's not undervalued at all. There's a lot of shows where the clown. Um, if if you want a good clown, then that means you have to like do some sacrifices for that. The, a clown can get paid as much in some shows as like a, a teeterboard act with a dozen people, because it's. It's not an easy thing to do. It takes a long time to even start to get good at it. Um, at the same time, there are a lot of shows where they're like, eh, yeah, just go do some, hey, you go do some clown. And it's totally, sometimes it's not respected at all. You get bo- really both sides. But I think within the Montreal circus scene, um, character work and clown is, is generally pretty valued. Um, you know, generally people don't talk so much numbers, but it's pretty well known that like at Cirque du Soleil, clowns tend to be paid well, um, as opposed, you know, acrobats are a little bit, I mean, you know, people are easy, they're easier to replace, frankly. Um, not that, you know, good acrobats who, you know, it's, it, there's a, f- a full continuum, but um, it's not like that there's just, you know, people coming out of gymnastics who can be sort of fit into um, clown roles. Whereas there's not like, you know, big schools of people coming into clowning. It tends to be very self-selected. But I'd say with the Montreal companies, people people tend to value good good play and good characters. Yeah, and it, on the other side, though, because it, the clowning is so personal, it is a little bit from the directing, producing side. It is a little bit difficult. Like you, it's difficult to replace a clown. You know, if you have if you have a person that works well in the show, to find another person that that fits in in a similar way is quite difficult. So. <clears throat> It, sometimes it makes sense to avoid using clowns as well. I shouldn't have said that out loud. Did <laughs> you did just say that. <laughs> Keep hiring him. Really the wisest of, of <laughs> companies always... To hire Crin and Adam. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sort of the mark, I would say. Yeah. But with this, with this show, I'm, I'm trying... I, I feel like um, everybody gets to play in the zone of clown yeah. a, a bit, and it's really fun. And I... Now that I've expanded Cirque Prom from the initial cast of four, um, which included myself, so this time I've pulled myself out and I'm just an outside eye, um, which is really a lot of work but so much fun. It's absolutely great to watch. Um, That, you know, with the structure of the show, um, everybody gets to play with clown and do characters, like do work that comes from them, that's based on, on themselves. So... I'm combining acts that have already existed on skills that they already have. So we've adapted um, pre-existing acts in some cases. And then there's a lot of original material as well. Um, and so I think, you know, just sort of as Cirque Prom 
lives and continues in the future, it's going to be that mix of original acts, adapted acts, <laughs> you know, acts that, that the artists had themselves, acts that were written for Cirque Prom, and then group, group numbers. So on this subject still, I'm sticking to it, um, part of the charm of the original show for me was, was both the unexpected moments and also, of course, these strong characters that we're talking about. Um, and the, the physical impressiveness of the work was almost a given, that everybody was a superstar in, in, in whatever format they were using, but it, w- it was almost... Um, uh, I don't know. It was just it was it was like the baseline and the characters kind of grew from there. From my perspective, I'm wondering if there's a prioritization that you do there between uh, when you're when you're working with people. Are you are you focusing on on just the character side of things? Do you do you work with them on the physicality of what they're doing as well? Like how, as a director, are you coming into this um, and working with different people? What do you prioritize? Are these things separate? Or, the way that I'm laying them out as. Yes. So for me, um, just because, you know, the Radiant is a small company, I'm just getting started. I don't have yet the ability to just have a training space for artists where they can come and work on their technique, you know, for, for months, because in circus, tricks take a long time to get. So, um, I ask that the artists come with a pretty high level of technique. Now, that doesn't mean that if someone has a trick that needs spotting, we can't provide you know spotting or some extra outside eyes or extra coaching if that's necessary but in general with this with with the show Cirque Prom because it is that sort of mix of um, ensemble work with cabaret style um, for me I'm absolutely prioritizing the character and the, the the personality and that you know that presence on stage that generosity with the audience that that I think you you maybe sensed a little bit last year with the cast and for me that's a lot more important than the tricks um, the tricks are very critical to the show because you know it's just nice to lose yourself in in human achievement and and just people working hard on what they do but um, for me uh, the thing that I think makes circus so so poignant and also transcendent are these characters that are really hu- like humble and relatable and um and very funny um i really want people to just kind of lose themselves in the the goofiness of 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 like you know high school and prom and and these these memories yeah i think just on the technical side i've been working in circus now for 20 years and uh there's some stuff in this show as people are running through their acts. Like my jaws dropped a good handful of times. The technical level on it is uh, shocking. I don't want to say shocking has <laughs> negative. <laughs> it's really great. The um, some people doing some super high level tricks, but also really u- unique stuff that I haven't seen before. It's really uh, yeah. The technical level is high as well as the you know the character stuff is great and everything, but. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> the relationship with the audience is, is definitely important. Uh, for mm. those who, who plan to, to attend the show, who've attended in the past, they have the opportunity to get all dazzled up and dressed in, in uh, prom style, yes. uh, which, is, which is a great invitation to kind of let them in on the game and on the fun. Uh, so what's the importance to you in involving the audience uh, within the, the process or during the performance? I think for for me with the the importance of the audience in the show it's just so much fun to have to give people a chance to play um and in this show because the the artists are you know they're so strong technically and they're also so strong with character um we can really let the audience play with us we have a lot of room for the audience to have fun um I think it's just you know I feel like we 
don't dress up enough. You know, it's fun. It gives us a chance. Like, everybody loves Halloween. Um, you know, there's no stress. You're not obliged to dress up to come to the show. But it is really fun to... Um, to just have like a, a good night out with your friends where you get to get all dressed up and you come see a great show. And, um, and we do play with the audience. We, we bring the audience up on stage. We're not mean to them. But yeah. we, do, we do really use, we, we use the audience and we, we use that element of surprise. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's really important in bringing people up that, you know, that person that we brought up, the rest of the audience is going to empathize with them. So I really take a lot of care with that relationship. Um, but I make sure it's really fun. Adam's worked on a new Audience Participation Act, which we'll yeah. give you. And also, I think, you know, circus... Although it does get like fourth wally sometimes, in general circus there isn't a fourth wall, and it's really a shared experience. And um, it's not well. There is an audience sitting and watching a show. The performers on stage aren't pretending that they're not there. Like we're all mm-hmm. we're all experiencing all of this stuff together, um, and that's one of the things that I love about circus so much. And with and with prom, it's we're all everybody in the room is at prom together. So even though, you know, we do use people from the audience, but most of the people are going to be watching it. But there's a communication that happens. Mm-hmm. And there's something magical as well when you're in disguise or when you're dressed up. It almost gives you this permission to kind of let loose and have even more fun yeah, and kind of get wild. Um, yeah. So I think that's something I remember from, from seeing it and having like, oh, yes, I get to give a second life to my prom dress. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or <laughs> take goofy pictures and like, you know, and, yeah, it's, it's fun. It, it, it gives the chance, the audience, just a chance to play. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the things with this show that I really want to allow grownups to just like embrace the silliness yeah that we like as kids kids play all the time but like as grown-ups we're you know we we often for, we're so serious and we forget just to like enjoy really goofy things and let ourselves play let ourselves dress yeah. up and have fun with our friends and have fun just laughing and watching a show and for me you know that's just tr- like that feeling is transcendent like i just in rehearsals i'm just giggling like my cheeks are hurting and then i have to like write and take notes and be serious but it's just it feels great just to let go and laugh and have fun and that's what i hope to capture with prom is a really great vehicle for that you know when for some people and in certain times of your life prom is the most important night of your life you know it's so serious but it's also actually completely ridiculous (laughs) and and it's fun to do to have both of those sides going on all the time and then uh, it sounds like the immersiveness is getting one step further with a DJ after party this time around. <laughs> it felt like when I did it, you know, with the fringe, just the turnover is so fast. Um, but we just, like, we all kind of felt like we didn't want the show to end right away. And so um, it just felt too short. So this time the show is a little bit longer and we have really great DJs afterwards. They're both nights. I mean, it's just going to be so much fun. Um, And so the artists will come out and we'll just dance. And there's a bar at the Bain Mathieu and it's a fantastic place for dancing. And there's two really, really great DJs. We have Christelle Franca on Friday and then I have um, Speakeasy Electro Swing for Saturday. And they're just both like great great dance djs so it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun and there's a few circus acts there'll be a few performers that will when the djs take a little break um you'll have a chance to watch even more impressive stuff while you're still dancing so 
Uh, I'd love to talk about how you've presented work at the Montreal Fringe uh, in the past as well. You did your solo show, The Rendezvous, um, that later played at the Montreal Complètement Cirque Festival. And then you did Cirque Promo, of course, last year, which uh, is now being presented in collaboration with Cirque Antique for the show at Bay Mathieu, and then over in the States with uh, the New England Center for Circus Arts. So clearly there's there you're using Fringe as, a, as some sort of... Um, starting point for your yeah. shows oh yeah. yeah but absolutely I've used it now twice the the fringe I, I mean I almost wanted to do it again this year but I just don't quite have time but the fringe is the it's such a good way to test work and get something out there you test your concept you figure out you get so much good feedback um the, the investment financially is it doesn't you know it of course you have to produce the show yourself but because you get good technical support you get so much promotion help it helps you just sort of learn how to build a show in your own voice it's a fantastic vehicle for figuring out what you want to do and how you want to say what you want to say because you don't have to do everything it's not like it's entirely self-produced um you have to your job is to come to the fringe with a good show and the best show that you possibly can for your you know for your spot at the fringe but you know it's really great with the technical help and good theaters and good support and um yeah i think the fringe is a fantastic place to test work and get it out there i think more people should do it and i, I encourage more people in circus particularly because there's lots of people who are really creative doing creative like clown and you know circus and circus theater dance hybrids um you know i hope that the circus community takes advantage of it as well because it is such a, a such a really great place to just get your your ideas out there in front of a really really receptive audience. <laughs> so you're pretty busy. Um, there's this show that's happening now, but there's also uh, you have solo work that's that's going to be uh, going to Uno Fest in Victoria, BC, which is quite exciting. So um, and uh, so how how are you managing to juggle all of these things <laughs> happening at once and being from going from an outside eye and and producing work and directing work to performing it at your own creations. Uh, so, yeah. I think I'm still figuring it out. The thing that I'm having a hard time with is just making time for, like, training time, just, like, physical mm -hmm. training time, like pull-ups and push-ups and stuff, because I do a lot of circus in my solo show. Um, but at least now I've kind of, you know, at least I work backwards. Okay, like, it's like I have a show date, and I need to start walking on my wine bottles, and I need to start doing my aerials, you know, like, <laughs> a, a month or six weeks beforehand. So, like, right now, for building Cirque Prom, because this time I'm an outside eye, I've taken a couple of weeks off of training largely. I mean, I've tried to do just a little bit, but um, it's going to be a bit of a busy because I'm putting myself back in the show when it goes to the States. So um, I will be rehearsing my acts with to put them back in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of time management. It's a little bit complicated. Um, and I'm still figuring it out, and I would love some good advice and suggestions on how to be both the director. I need help. I don't quite get it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's complicated. Um, yeah, I think it it takes. Um, I, I think that the answer is in a level of discipline, which I have yet to master, um, because I always feel like I'm rushing to get back into shape. Um, the, the directing side and having ideas and wanting to work with people that I always have. Um, but just, you know, and I love performing. I will always, you know, show up on stage with bells on. But, uh, yeah, it's just that sort of the discipline required to be in good shape so that you don't, you know, you take the best care of your body that you can. Mm -hmm. That I'm still figuring that out. 
And is there something um, that you're planning, a new creation in the, in the near future? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a new project, which I'll be showing actually um, next fall. So, so stay tuned for that. So I'll be showing a new work in progress. So I have a, I'm a firm believer in deadlines, even if they seem insane or ridiculous. I'm, I, I need deadlines in order mm -hmm. to just get my work out there. And so I'll be um, showing a work in progress this summer um, at a small circus festival in Moumini called the Cirque en Fleuve. And then I'll be showing it again in Montreal in, um, in October as a work in progress. Cool. It'll be fun. Suspense. <laughs> That's right. So today we've been delighted to welcome Kryn Hagland, uh, who is the artistic director and co-founder of The or Le Radiant, as well as uh, Adam Kukler from uh, New York City, a circus and juggling artist. Uh, here on the Dirty Feet podcast, uh, we were talking about Cirque Prom, which is being presented in collaboration with Cirque Antique on April 10th and 11th at 8 p.m. at the Bay Mathieu here in Montreal. And then uh, right away, it'll be presented in collaboration with the New England Center for Circus Arts in Battleboro, uh, Vermont, at the Austin Gym on April 17th. You can visit uh, cirqueprom.com for uh, details. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you. Montreal choreographer Melanie Demers of the company Mayday is presenting her piece Wood at Usine Say in Montreal this week. In short, the show muses about possibilities and is performed by a male-female duo, Marc Boivin and Kate Holden. Kate joins us on the podcast to talk about the work. A shorter version of the piece premiered in Toronto in 2013 and was actually commissioned by Kate herself. Thank you for joining us, Kate. It's a pleasure. Uh, first things first, what does Wood mean to you as a work and as a word? Uh, the work is definitely a play on, on all the possibilities and Melanie talks about that in the way that she talks about the work but for Mark and I performing it it's a constant battle of what is structured and what is not and so it's, it's a continuous play at all, at all times of what it could potentially be for that that run through that show that that rehearsal um the word the word itself i don't know it's a funny it's a funny word but i i love the way that it it looks even written down when it's done in all capitals that way there has a real balance to it and it for me i think about all of the things that you could you can imagine for your life for for the world for the the darkness the positive the all the possibilities it's it's all held right there in the word. And when you brought um, this this commission to Melanie de Mers, did you bring wood with you, or what no. was your initial intention with this commission? Uh, Melanie definitely came up with with the word, with the piece, with with the whole structure of it. Um, the intention of the commission originally for me, I started commissioning work as a way of taking some initiative and control as a dancer. Um, so much of what we do as dance artists is driven by the choreographer. And so 
wanting to to expand my artistic experience as a dancer, I started to commission work. Uh, my initial choice was to to sort of uh, circumvent the natural process of things, and I asked Mark to dance with me. Um, Mark is an artist that I've always admired. He's He's been one of my teachers. He's a colleague. We've performed in other works together before. I think he's an absolutely brilliant artist. And uh, so that was a dream of mine, to dance with him again. So I approached him, and together we sort of brainstormed our our dream team of potential choreographers. Melanie was one of our overlaps and um, that we both had a, had a big desire to work with. Partly because of of the the humanity and the the darkness, the fragility, the strength, the the dichotomy of her work, we were both really attracted to. So then we approached uh, Melanie with the commission, and she, with some reservations, agreed. <laughs> I think it was a little bit of a of a surprise to her. And she already has her team of people that she works with on a regular basis, and she had never considered working with with Mark or I. Um, so we we launched onto the commission that way, and she came into the studio, of course, with some ideas. But but the word would or the idea that this work would be about possibilities wasn't there from the get go. We actually really just started in conversation with each other in the things that we were interested in and. Um, this all developed from those conversations and the initial research. And given not only the fact that you instigated this this project, uh, but also that you and Mark are both credited as uh, collaborators as well as performers in the work, how much ownership do you feel over the, the product, especially now that it's also been extended and, and I imagine altered from the initial commission? In doing the original commission, I was very in control of a lot of the elements and uh, Proposed the composer to Melanie. Proposed a whole lot of the 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 theater where it was going to be produced. Like all of the the structure around the original composition was was my proposal, and that she met then artistically. And so doing it now, it's it's kind of lovely to not be in charge of all of those elements again. And I get to step back and be a dancer, but I still feel very responsible and engaged in in how this piece came came about. I, I'm curious about whether or not that would create conflicts in the studio and the creation process um, between, you know, Melanie, who you've given the choreographic um, leeway to and, and all the control to in that sense, and then how do you, is there a negotiation that happens in that relationship that's different than a negotiation you would have as an interprète for a choreographer who's invited you into their process? I don't think it actually does create conflict in the studio. I, I work very hard when when I do commission a work to step step into my role as a dancer when I'm in the studio. And I, I'm not a producer in that sense, and I try not to color the work from inside the studio. That the, the structure that is in place exists already, and I don't have to control it as a dancer. And how much has the work changed? So now that it's going to be presented again, uh, a longer version of it, of course, uh, was the extra material that's been added on something you guys already researched or is it an extension of the the uh, feedback and the response that you had the first time you presented it? We haven't actually added much new material. 
In fact, I would say there's there's no really is no new material. Hmm. Um, we all felt when we did the shorter version of the work that there was room for it to be larger, blown up, exploded mm-hmm. just a little bit. So when we went back to reworking it, we actually started to look at um, just sort of unraveling it a little bit. So things have been extended. It feels like it has more space mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And for Melanie, that's, a, that's quite a departure from the way that she normally crafts the arc of her work. Um, and we were all, I think, a bit surprised by the, the impact that it gave some sections. I think, I think there was some concern at one point that it would dilute it, but it actually has made some of, some of the images much harder to deal with in a really impactful way. And how has it been with uh, Melanie, who I believe just recently gave birth? <laughs> she did to a beautiful baby boy. Um, that's that's um, kind of mid-process. You guys just loaded in last week. And um, so, I mean, that must be, she's quite a bit on her plate. And I think it's probably great that you do have this awareness of how to um, market and, and the, that outside understanding outside of the studio as well. Um, so we, Melanie always knew what, I mean, everything falling into place as we hope it does. She always mm-hmm. knew that she would be giving birth right before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of the reason why we're doing this piece in the first place, because she was initially supposed to be presenting a solo at Easy and Say. Oh, yeah. And when she uh, realized she was pregnant and and the timing of the arrival of her son... Uh, she proposed this other plan that we bring back wood and ex- and work on expanding it. And in the planning of the of the the timing of it all, uh, we actually did most of our work back in January, February of mm-hmm. this year when Melanie was still able to be with us, and spent ten days in the studio, really getting into the meat of the work. Then, so that we knew the expanded structure already. And she's working with an amazing rehearsal director, Anne-Marie Jordanet, who knows her work really inside and out. And Anne-Marie was with us in the studio back in January and is now taking care of the work in the theater. Mm. So Melanie really has not been in the theater with us at all. And she really trusts her team of collaborators to take care of the work in the way that she would. She came to a run-through last week with her son, Milo, and... uh, was able to, you know, put her put her mark on a few things and make some decisions, help us understand how things sat a little bit. Um, but for the most part, we've been on on our own in the theater. And back in January and February, when you guys were uh, kind of did this ten day intensive of diving back into the work, uh, was that done in Toronto or in Montreal? In Montreal, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of the creative work on this project has been done in Montreal. It's easier for me to travel here than it is to bring the two of them to Toronto, um, just because I'm one versus two. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so most of the research what happened in Montreal. We had uh, a wonderful residency in Toronto back in 2013 for two weeks at the Dance Makers space, but otherwise we've mostly been here in Montreal at Circuit or at Usinsay. I'd like to talk about uh, you and, and Marc Bovin as dance partners, because obviously there was a there was something there to begin with, uh, a chemistry or a spark as, as, as duet partners. Um, can you identify what it is that, that makes the two of you work well together? 
There's definitely a, a mutual respect and admiration for each other as artists. Um, I can't explain it necessarily why sometimes it works better than others with a partner. We did a very complex duet together um, years ago called 15 Heterosexual Duets, and it was produced by Coleman Lemieux and Company, and it's a James Cadelka work. It's a very famous work uh, in the Canadian dance scene <laughs> Canadian dance world in the history of Canadian dance um, and it's a beautifully complex piece and Mark and I uh, partnered together on three three duets within the work and there's something some, maybe it's proportions maybe it's it's the way that we communicate with each other but it was easy sometimes you when you have complex partnering work like that you end up fighting each other but it was very easy for us to instinctively work with each other and understand each other's cues and weight and and it's just sometimes works. I can't I can't really explain that part of it. And then on top of the, the physicality of it, there's there's obviously the fact that you you get along well. We get along. Yeah, yeah. we like to hang out, so that's that also <laughs> helps, right? Yeah. If you can actually go hang out and have a dinner with somebody after rehearsal, it's a it's an extra bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, also, back in. In 2014, last year, uh, he he received the Dora Maver Moore Award for outstanding performance for uh, for his performance in Wood. Um, I'm not familiar with this award. Could you tell us a bit about about what it means? Right, uh, the Dora Maver Moore Awards are theater and dance and opera awards in Toronto, and it's a juried prize. And the jurors for the year will go see all of the dance productions that are happening throughout the city and um, then vote at the end of the year, the short list and then, and then they vote and, and somebody wins. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a beautiful, it's a lovely recognition. Um, the work actually was nominated for five awards. Wow. Which is, it means a lot. And especially for me as a producer, someone like, I just felt such pride in the fact that that we had clearly impacted on so many levels. Uh, So Mark and I were both nominated as performers. Melanie was nominated for the choreography. My husband Josh was nominated for the music composition. And the lighting designer, Simon Rossiter, uh, was also nominated for lighting design. So to be recognized on all levels for the production um, really meant a lot to us. And then for Mark to win, it was just, you know, icing on the cake. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, not having seen the work myself, but but being able to see the promotional video online and, and kind of get a, a taste, a sample of, of what kind of um, piece this is. And, and also just understanding Melanie DeMels' work in general, having... Um, a lot of uh, gestural or action-based movements and then having a lot of like purely physical uh, dancing sections. And I'm wondering, um, is there a line drawn between those, uh, those two worlds in the piece? Do you find that you, you are switching things on and off or is there a blend or how does that feel? Uh, it definitely feels like a blend and a constant negotiation in sort of turning up the volume on certain parts of it and turning down the volume on others. Like it's a, it's not a clear cut. Now I'm doing this action. And Melanie especially does not like when she sees the, sees the choreography. So she doesn't, she hates when it looks like a dance break. Um, So we would work 
we worked a lot on finding finding the tuning in in the play. So there's actually a fair bit of improvisation still. So within the set dance moments, there's actually a lot of improvisation around rhythm and um, sort of checking in, checking out of the structure of of the the movements themselves so that I can never as a dancer go okay this move follows this move follows this move but I always have to keep aware of what Mark's choices are what my previous choices are and how they impacted him and and keep a constant sort of checking in on on the thing it feels very alive and then the the spoken gestural parts of it there's a lot of there's actually a lot of text in the work but it it is also improvised so we're constantly checking in and listening to each other and, and finding a way to stay on track with the work, but also play with its parameters. And within this negotiation or exchange and communication during the more sh- uh, structured improvisational moments, uh, what's, the, what's the role of the music within that? And is it the main drive of, of those sections? Or is it something that, uh, that within the process that you guys played with? The music feels almost like a movie soundtrack in some mm. ways. It really, it for I think for the audience, but, but for Mark and I, it provides this um, base underneath so that it can help carry us through to the next thing. Um, we certainly don't count ever. We use we'll use a groove in the music in order to find a, a rhythm at times, but it's not. Um, it feels like another player in some ways mm-hmm. in the work, and the music has been constructed in a way that it can be malleable to our choices. So that if a certain section lasts a little bit longer, a little bit shorter than it did the time before, it can then be manipulated to to move with us. Does this mean that the the script of the work um, is more I- emotional or concept based than than anything else? Like, what guides you through? Do you have do you have markers on on that spectrum that you need to hit before you get to the end of the piece? The script or the the structure of the work definitely has uh, peaks and valleys in it. Um, and so, in terms of our our volume, what what we're saying, that the type of thing that we're saying, or how extreme it might get at one point are definitely um they're they're choreographed so that we know that i have to peak at a certain moment and go over the top and then allow it to come down again and mark also has his own peaks and valleys within that and that's highly structured as well so i always have to keep an eye on like there's a certain section where mark mark is doing a peak in terms of his vocal expression and where he's going with something and what I'm doing I also then have to sort of manipulate my peak in order to fit within the arc that he has chosen that night so there's there's major checkpoints that way as well that sounds like a, a challenging way to work and very it must create a very visceral exciting kind of uh, performance it's pretty satisfying when it works as well frustrating when it doesn't because it's there's so many elements at play but it's uh but when we're able to really follow each other that way, it's it's very exciting. And now restaging the work and giving it uh, a second a second look. Have the collaborators in which you've created the piece originally uh, have they changed? Are you working with the same people still? 
We changed the team a little bit in moving it to Montreal. Um, Melanie has a great team that she often works with already. So we've been working with her lighting designer, Alex Pilongay, and she's worked with him before, and they have a, a great and easy communication. They really understand what what the work needs from each each side. Um, so he's been doing the lighting design, which has been been really lovely uh, to revisit. Also, the the space that we're in is so different than the one that we were in in Toronto that even though the lighting design was phenomenal in Toronto, it would have had to have been very revamped for mm-hmm. for this space in particular. And in terms of music composition, it has had to be expanded and molded a little bit to shape the the new arc of this this work. So Melanie Demers uh, is presenting Wood, all capital letters, at Usine in Montreal from April 8th to 11th at 8 p.m. Our guest today, Kate Holden, performs with Marc Boivin in the piece. You can visit uh, maydaydance.ca or usine-say.com for more information. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Thank you. Thanks. Dirty Feet was previously recorded at the Montreal Improv Theatre and is currently recorded out of Mainline Theatre. Thanks, dudes. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par... Produced and hosted by Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com, follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet, and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou... Vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.